Good morning. Our scripture reading today is from the book of 1 Samuel. We'll be reading chapter 18, verses 1 through 5. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Good to be here with you this morning. Uh, I'm going to pray, and then we'll go ahead and get started. Father in heaven, we just want to thank you for your grace that you've shown us in your son, Jesus Christ. Uh, God, I pray that um, through this time, Lord, this morning, and uh, throughout our weeks, God, just in so many ways, Lord, I ask that you would draw us to yourself, help us to understand uh, with greater clarity and conviction uh, your goodness, your love towards us, God. Um, help us to know you as Father and friend and King. Lord, I ask that you would fill our hearts with your Spirit. I pray that we would humble ourselves before you and submit ourselves before you, God. I pray that we would fear you and worship you, Lord. Um, this morning and throughout our whole lives, God. Uh, we entrust ourselves to you. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so in our series that we're going through, Life and Heart of King David, uh, what we're really looking at is the kind of king that God chooses. The, we're looking at the God, kind of king that God provides for his people, to reign over his people. Uh, the first king of Israel, King Saul, if you're familiar with King Saul, uh, he was the first king in Israel, and he was a king that the people chose. God did not seek after Saul. The people sought after Saul. The people wanted Saul to rule over them so that they could be like all the other nations around them. And Saul had a lot of great outward characteristics. He was tall and handsome and strong-looking, uh, so visibly, like just judging with the eyes, you would have assumed that Saul would have been this great leader, but he was not the leader that God chose. Uh, David was the king that God chose. So let's look together at 1 Samuel 13, chapter 13, verse 14. Here, God is giving a message to Saul through his prophet Samuel, and he says, but now your kingdom shall not continue... The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. So the kind of king that God wants for his people is someone who's a man after his own heart, someone who cares about the Lord's desires and is committed to doing the Lord's will. And that was uh, the king that we find in David. And we're able to learn so much about the kind of king that God chooses, the kind of king that God provides by looking at David's life. 
In so many ways, David's life foreshadows, he provides a picture of the true King Jesus. So much so that in Mark chapter 10, verse 46, even a blind beggar can see that Jesus is the king that David points us to. So that this blind beggar cries out, Son of David, have mercy on me. Even a blind man can see this. There's a sense of irony there, but that is how clearly David's life foreshadows Jesus. Now last week, Ben did an excellent job showing us how David arrives on the scene, how he's introduced to the people of Israel when he defeats the giant Goliath. And we saw what we saw in this event was that the king God chose was a humble servant and unlikely hero from Bethlehem, a shepherd. And he trusted God in the face of death, right? No one wanted to come near Goliath. But David trusted God in the face of death. And out of a concern for God's glory, he ran into battle to face the giant. And we saw that through the faithfulness of this one man, a people who were subjected to slavery under fear of death, reaped the benefits of life and freedom. Like David, Jesus compared himself to a shepherd. He calls himself the good shepherd. Like David, Jesus was from Bethlehem, okay, a, a town where nobody's come from. Like David, Jesus trusted God in the face of death. He went to the cross saying, not my will be done, but your will be done. So he trusted God even though he knew it was going to cost him his life. And like David, Jesus fought and killed a seemingly undefeatable enemy for the glory of God's name. Right? Goliath would come to the front lines day after day and taunt the armies of Israel saying, here I am, I'm right here, I'm about, I'm, I'm about, we're about to crush you guys. And just like Israel, we see death day after day after day, and it tells us it's coming for us. But our champion, Jesus, has stepped in to free us from death and slavery. Because of this one man we get to reap the benefits of life and freedom. This is what God's chosen king is like. These are the particular qualities that the author of Samuel highlights. And what we'll see today is that friendship is a quality that the author goes out of his way to highlight, that the author of Samuel goes out of his way to highlight. Friendship is something that shapes a significant part of David's rule as king. Now, there's a universal appreciation for friendship. Right? There's something about it that so deeply blesses the soul. Right? We all love good friends. They bless the soul. And there have been seasons in my life that otherwise would have been very boring, mundane, even depressing but they turned out to be so good just because I had developed close friendships. The author of the book of Samuel wants us to know that this universal aspect 
of human life is something that is essential to the rule of God's chosen king. And it is through the king's commitment to friendship that we can truly understand the depth of its importance. So our main idea this morning is simple. Friendship is essential to the rule of the king. You see, Jesus, our king, doesn't just like when people are friends. He doesn't just like friendship. He doesn't just appreciate it. He doesn't even just value it. No, it is characteristic. It is essential to his rule. John chapter 15, verse 15. Here Jesus says, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. The rule of King Jesus involves friendship. In his work of redemption, Jesus takes enemies and rebels and he makes them his friends. And here's why I believe this is so important. In our Christian circles, we often tend to talk of God being Father, which is true and right. But as weak, finite creatures, we have such a limited understanding of what that actually means. We can't fathom all that goes into God being Father. So God gives us other pictures of how we relate to him. And one of those pictures is that of friend. With family, for example, like with a father, right? With a father, sometimes you can feel like your family is obligated to accept you. With family, there's some sense that they're obligated to tolerate you. Uh, or we're obligated to tolerate each other. Like at a family reunion, right? the weird uncle, you can't just disown him. Or the relatives that always want to argue about politics, like you can't just walk away from them and disown them. No, you're obligated, in a sense, to tolerate them. And you know what? That's a good thing. But with a friend, it's not like that. Friendship is a willing relationship. It is a willing relationship where people appreciate and enjoy each other's company. So God wants us to know that, yes, he is committed. He has obligated himself towards us as our father. But he also wants us to know that he willingly chooses to enjoy you and commit himself to you. God wants us to know that he willingly chooses to enjoy us and commit himself to us. Friendship is essential to the rule of the king. And in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 1 through 5, we, say, we see three characteristics of this friendship with the king. Love, commitment, and submission. Right? Friendship with the king involves all three of these aspects. So taking a closer look at point number one. Here we see uh, at the beginning of chapter 18 how Jonathan's friendship with King David starts. We see that David was brought into Saul's household as a servant after he defeated Goliath. And one thing that we should note about King Saul, the first king in Israel, is that he sought to only associate with people who were strong, people who were intelligent, 
He wanted to be around the best and the brightest, right? He wanted to gather all these people, all the best people in his entourage so that he could kind of climb the status ladder, right? He wanted to bolster himself with strong, good-looking, intelligent people. And so, of course, he brings David in to serve him. David just defeated Goliath. He showed himself to be the most valiant, brave warrior in Israel. And Jonathan was the son of Saul. So Jonathan, at this time, he's like, he's the prince, really. Um, And that's how they got to know each other. They were in, they were brought into the same household. And right off the bat, we can see how unlikely this kind of friendship was, right? David was a servant. David is a lowly servant. And then Jonathan, he's basically second in command over the whole kingdom of Israel. Yet, something happens to the soul of Jonathan and David so that their hearts are knit together. And what happens is that Jonathan loves David as his own soul. So I appreciate how this is illustrated in uh, the Action Storybook Bible. Okay? A great thing about this Bible is that there's pictures on every page. So it's, it's great for my kids, but it's also great for me as a dad. Um, so here we see Jonathan's in the blue. David's got that sweater vest thing going on. But we see that, you know, uh, essentially shortly after they meet, they commit, themse- they commit themselves to each other in friendship. Right? They're committed to being loyal friends to one another forever. And in the narrative, in Samuel, uh, we're not actually given an idea of how much time has elapsed between like, when they meet each other and before they make this commitment to friendship. But what we are told is that something acted upon the hearts of Jonathan and David. Something external to Jonathan and David acted upon their hearts so that what happened is their hearts were knit together. And if you read Samuel in context, you know, from beginning to end, you can see clearly that that something that acted upon the hearts of Jonathan and David was God. This narrative assumes on every page that God is in control. He's in control of the events. He's sovereignly governing what's going on. He's sovereignly governing the hearts of men and women. So friendship with the king starts with God acting on the heart, God influencing the heart. Now, in a much more significant way, God softens and changes our hearts so that we love Jesus as our own souls. Romans 5.5 says that the love of God has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. God changes our affections. He orders our heart in the right way so that we love Jesus and prize and cherish friendship with him. The author of Samuel is communicating that friendship with God's chosen king is nothing like cold, stale religion. No, Christianity is a bond of friendship that is so strong that you love Jesus even as your own soul. Real Christianity is not without friendship. And you know what? This is something that we can learn 
from the kids that are right here in our congregation. Uh, several weeks ago, Olivia Reith was baptized uh, at our Easter service. Uh, Olivia Reith, that's the daughter of James and Carrie Reith. And I was talking to her dad about, you know, how he felt about the baptism, how it went. And he was telling me about the discussion that he had with his daughter. He asked her, Olivia, why do you want to be baptized? And her response, I think, is so incredible. She says to him, I want to be baptized because Jesus is my Lord and Savior. But more than that, I want to be baptized because Jesus is my best friend. There is more about the heart of the Christian life in that one statement by that one precious girl than in libraries full of Christian books, your latest books on discipleship and theology. Think for a second about why you enjoy your friends. Is it because they give us things? Or is it because they teach us things? They probably do that, do those things from time to time. But the real reason we love our friends is because they give us themselves. They share their lives with us. We enjoy friends for their own sake. You know, I've sat around a completely unfurnished house, like a typical college guy house, uh, with cardboard boxes for like a table and um, no carpets on the floor. So completely unfurnished. I've sat around this house and I've laughed my head off for hours just because good friends were right there with me. I've hung out in parking lots until late in the night and it was not only worth it, but enjoyable because my friends were there, right? Good friends make loitering fun. Boring days, the most boring days have become some of my favorite memories because my friends were there with me. I'm sure we've all had experiences like that. Experiences where we've just appreciated friends for their own sake. There's no other relationship that makes the mundane so enjoyable. The beautiful thing about Christianity is that it invites us to have this kind of friendship with no one other than the Son of God himself. Here I like to reference uh, Bernard of Clairvaux. Bernard of Clairvaux, he was a medieval Catholic monk. So I would have some disagreements about how we interpret the Bible, but what he has to say about friendship with God, about a relationship with God, is so good. And here's just one instance of that. He says, in creation, God gives us ourselves, but in redemption, God gives us himself. Right, when God creates us, he gives us life. That is a gift, that life is a gift. But in redemption, he gives us a greater gift, and that is himself. There have been times in my life when I've been overwhelmed with joy and gratitude on an ordinary day 
in an ordinary week just because I knew I had the privilege of knowing God, the privilege of experiencing his presence, just because of the simple fact that I got to be with him. That made my day amazing because I got to spend time with God. In my life, there have been seasons of laughter and joy. There have been seasons of sorrow. I have triumphed. I have been humiliated. I have suffered. And it has been all imme so immeasurably valuable to me just because my friend Jesus was there with me. We have the opportunity to enjoy friendship with the risen king. And I don't know what else to say except that is amazing. Another interesting and remarkable thing about friendship with the king is that it expands outwards. Our love and friendship for Jesus should expand to those in his body, the church, right? Those who are united to Christ. 1 John 4.11 says that if God so loved us, so we ought to love one another. And then in John 13.35, Jesus says to his disciples, he says, by this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. And there are tons of examples like this. In many places, the Bible teaches us that love is expressed in friendship. So a very simple and rewarding way to apply Jesus' commandment to love one another is just to make friends with each other. And I can pull a lot of examples, a lot of positive examples from our congregation. There are a lot of people, a lot of MCs that are just doing a great job at pursuing deep friendships. But when I think of someone who's good at making friends, I think of Ben Alessi. Ben is that kid from the elementary school playground who introduces himself by saying, hi, wanna be my friend? He's very upfront about his desire for friendship. And more than that, he is really good at pursuing deep friendships, not just surface level relationships, right? He goes out of his way to pursue deeper friendships. And again, there are plenty of examples like Ben at Pillar Church. So I wanna encourage you here, keep making friends. But I also want to call you to be extra attentive to those who might be in need of a friend. A, a big difference between David and Saul is how they treated people. Uh, a big difference is how they sought to associate, the kind of people they sought to associate themselves with. You remember how I said that King Saul, he just wanted the best and brightest around him. Right? He wanted all the, the cool, popular people to be around him, to elevate his own status. Right? That is contrasted with the way that David is like. In chapter 22, just a couple chapters later, we see that, uh, chapter 22 and verse 2, regarding David. Everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him, David, and he became commander over them, 
and there were with him about 400 men. So a, a bunch of weak, needy, desperate people flock to David, and he treats them like they're his friends, and guess what happens to them? They become mighty men in his army. They become like the most incredible warriors of their day because of friendship, because David treated them like they were his friends. Right? David is an example of how we should be attentive to those who might be in need of a friend. And again, this is a simple and rewarding way to love the body of Christ. The next thing we see in the text is that love, right? What happens when God knits our hearts together, what that leads to is commitment. So our second point here, this is a really short point because it's really closely associated with the first one. But I do want to be clear that love results in commitment. That's something that we ignore in our culture today. But the truth is that love results in commitment. The heart of Jonathan was changed. It was knit to David. And so he made a covenant with David. Now a covenant is a committed bond. It's an oath. It's a commitment that is never to be broken. And a couple chapters later, in chapter 20, verse 42, we see how committed David and Jonathan are to one another. Here it is written, Then Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, because we have sworn, both of us, in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord shall be between me and you, and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And he rose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. All right, they make an eternal commitment that spans across generations. The Lord will be between me and you forever. All right, that is a serious commitment. In our culture, we tend to think that love is not associated with commitment, right? Love is a feeling according to our modern culture. Like you can just be done with people when you don't feel a certain way about them anymore. That's not how God's king views friendship. That's not how the Bible defines friendship for us, or love, or commitment. So it's not how we should view, fr view friendship with the king, and it's not how we should view friendship with one another. And this is something we know, right? Uh, being involved in the church, this is something we know, spending time in the Bible. But I would say that even at times, our individualistic, our, our hyper-individualistic culture recognizes how sweet loyal friends are. Um, one example that comes to mind is Wreck-It Ralph, the movie. Okay, this is a movie about friendship, and... I really like this movie, partly because my daughter kind of looks like that girl, Vanellope Von Schweetz, but uh, it's just a, a heartwarming movie. Um, now, the main character, Ralph, in this movie, he's a bad guy. He's a, a bad guy from a video game, so he's full of flaws, but what redeems him in the, in the movie is that he is committed to being a faithful friend no matter what, right? Even when it's going to cost him his life, he is committed to being a faithful friend. 
So despite his mistakes, despite his flaws, he is loyal. And that's the kind of friend we all want, right? A loyal one. True friendship is not a light matter, but it expresses itself in loyalty. It expresses itself in commitment. As believers, our relationship with Jesus the King involves an eternal, unbreakable friendship. Again, Jesus says, no longer do I call you servants, but I call you friends. And the word of the Lord stands forever. That is an eternal friendship. The commitment of friendship between David and Jonathan, right? the friendship that foreshadows our own friendship with Jesus, goes so far that Jonathan is willing to lay aside his own interests, his own authority, and even his own kingdom. So that brings us to our last point. Submission. Friendship with the king involves submission. The proper response of friendship with King Jesus is giving up authority. And we see that foreshadowed in the life of Jonathan and David. In verse 4 in chapter 18, we see that Jonathan gave David his royal robe, his armor, even his sword, all of his weapons. And all these things, all these items, are symbols of his authority. All these things, when he has them on, it portrays, I am prince of Israel. But he stripped all of that off and gave it up before the king. Jonathan's commitment to David meant that he submitted himself to David. He simply recognized God's call on David's life. Like it wasn't threatening to Jonathan, actually. He just recognized what God had set apart David for. Let's take a look at how this really contrasts the uh, response of Jonathan's father, Saul. So in 1 Samuel chapter 20, verses 30, and we'll go through uh, 30 to 33. So 1 Samuel 20, starting in verse 30. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan, and he said to him, You son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. Then Jonathan answered Saul, his father, Why should he be put to death? What has he done? But Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him. So Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death. And Jonathan... Uh, I'll, I'll read that last verse too. And Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because his father had disgraced him. So again, I appreciate how this is illustrated in the Action Bible. Uh, we see Saul here with the crown, and he's super angry. He's insulting his son. Uh, and really, Saul is 
just obsessed with holding on to his power. Right? He's not willing to give up the kingdom. So we can look at the next slide. Right? He's off his rocker. He's, he's going to try to kill his son. He's a lunatic. And what drove him to this lunacy was this sick desire to hold on to power as much as he could. He was so obsessed with holding on to the kingdom, to his own kingdom. But Jonathan wasn't interested in trying to hold on to a kingdom that was never his in the first place. Saul knew that David was supposed to be king. But rather than submitting to God's will, Saul tries to perpetuate his own kingdom. He seeks to kill David rather than give up the kingdom. If Jonathan would have thought and had the mindset like Saul, then he would have hated David. And by the world standard, Jonathan should have been an enemy to David, right? If Jonathan were concerned about his own dynasty, right, he would have hated David. And when we think like this, when we think like Saul, when we're too concerned about our own authority and our own kingdom, it will lead us to hate the king rather than befriend the king. Jonathan's love and commitment to the king led him to submit rather than hold on to power. That is the proper response to God's chosen king. We know that God has made Jesus Lord and King. This is something that is confirmed unequivocally for us by his resurrection from the dead. And our response, as he calls us to befriend him, is simply to acknowledge who he is and submit. You know, real friends aren't threatened by one another. right? Real friends can honestly acknowledge each other's strengths and encourage one another, right? They're not threatened, threatened uh, by the things that the other person might be good at. The call to submit to Jesus as king doesn't in any way diminish our friendship with him. Rather, it is the proper acknowledgement of who he is. It is the natural outworking of the fact that he has called us friends. As those called into friendship with Jesus, we can honestly acknowledge his undeniable power and authority. When we meet Jesus and our hearts are changed, when our hearts are knit to him so that we love him and commit ourselves to him, we can honestly say that he is the king and not me. Right? I am not that guy. I am not like him. My traits and qualities don't even come close. I cannot hold a candle compared to who he is. He is so far beyond me. And this is actually something that's comforting rather than threatening. We are called to have a response like Jonathan. We're called to lay down whatever authority we think we might have and know and befriend God's chosen king. Like David, Jesus was appointed king by God rather than by men. Like David, Jesus made a covenant with people who didn't deserve his friendship. 
right? Both David and Jesus made a covenant with people who were from kingdoms that were rejected. Like David, Jesus turns his enemies into his friends. Like David, Jesus deserved loyalty from all his subjects. Like David, Jesus is the one who has been given authority to rule over God's kingdom. Yet, unlike David, Jesus willingly loved people that he knew would betray him. He was a faithful friend to those who turned their backs on him. When you look at the life of Jesus, you can really see that there was no purer, truer friend than he was. And no one could have been a better friend. No one was more faithful. No one was more kind. You think about it. Uh, He had a group of guys that followed him in poverty for three years. Right? He must have been the best kind of person to be around. Yet he suffered betrayal and abandonment. Right? We know that Judas betrayed him but also Peter and all the rest of his disciples. No one showed up for him. No one stood up for him. No one defended his character. When Jesus needed it the most, no one was a friend to him. He was abandoned by all. He endured the severing of the most sacred bonds of fellowship. And he did so willingly to save a people who turned their backs on him. Jesus suffered the loss of all friendships so that he would be a better friend to us than we ever could have imagined. What kind of friend... What kind of king gives up his life for the people who betrayed him? What kind of personal commitment must that take? Who can be so full of love and generosity? Who can be that good? There's only one man. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord above all lords. He is the very son of God. He is the friend that we didn't deserve. He is the man who is king by virtue of his own divine nature. And his name is Jesus. He is my king. And he is my friend. As God's people, as those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, we are invited to befriend this king. How amazing is that? Family, I cannot think of a single greater privilege. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we come before you and... Lord, we're humbled, we're thankful uh, that you would give up your life for us even when we have betrayed you so many times. God, we have not given you the respect 
and the glory and the praise that you deserve, yet you still call us into friendship. Father, I just ask that you would bless this congregation, that you would help them to know the riches of grace and love and goodness that are found in friendship with you. Lord, we love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.